Welcome to Read My Lips Radio, a lively hour of unscripted conversations with savvy creatives. Producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, asks novelists, artists, photographers, designers, comedians, actors, musicians, composers, screenwriters, directors, and technology innovators about their creative passion, inspirational muses, and how they create. Ooh, how those lips can talk. Now, here's AKA Radio Red. <laughs> Radio Red in the house trying to see if we got the live stream feed up. I'm not seeing it on LinkedIn, but I know we are there because the powers that be say we are welcome to read my lips. There we are. Cool conversations with creatives. And I've got three very interesting creators with me tonight, like I always do on Monday. I look forward to Monday evenings, no matter how my day goes. It's always a bright spot in my day to meet and greet my creatives. And I met these three wonderful people at, of course, the most recent National Publicity Summit, which is a five to seven hour marathon that these people (laughs) have to go through 19 times, no, six times. And I get to do it for five hours and meet about 50 people. And I booked about 35 this time. So Radio Red in the house. Let's talk. It is May 8th. Oh, my goodness. Where is your going Last week was May 1st, and we're all still here, and this is wonderful. And I want to do a shout-out to my wonderful engineer, Andrew. And I understand we have a birthday in the house today. Mm -hmm. It is the Western Zodiac sign of Taurus, April 20th to May 21st. Leslie, your birthday was Saturday? Saturday. And Steve, your dad's birthday was last week as well? Yes? Yes. Okay. So what's your dad's name? Nephi. Okay, well, wish him happy birthday for us. I want you all to do, we sort of rehearsed this. I'm not sure you're going to be able to do it. I'm really hoping you can figure it out. I want you to make the shape of the letter L with your whichever hand you're favoring. There we go. Let's, oh, good. That's really big. And on the count of three, you're going to join. We're, we're going to say hello, L, L, L. Are you ready? One, ready. two, three. Hello, hello L, L, L. L. You broke the record. That was Andrew. That was the most perfect in all the years I've been doing this. Andrew just started engineering this for me a couple weeks ago on Monday nights. Andrew, you got to make a notation that this is one of the best. The reason we do that is we have a most loyal listener is lovely, lanky Laura Legs. She's a dancer. I met her in New York years ago. We were in the same class and we stayed friends all these years. But the problem is that she lives in Whitestone, New York, and it starts with a W. And Tony, that just doesn't go with the letter L. So I compiled a list of places we're trying to get her to move to. And I have a fake GoFundMe that I've been building up. I get so excited. I bang my microphone. Been building it up for years. It still has a zero balance, but my intentions are good. So last week we said she could go to Las Vegas. That's Nevada or Louisville, Kentucky, Long Beach, California. Population's about 450,000, not bad. Lexington, Kentucky, two places in Kentucky. Lincoln, Nebraska, that sounds official. Lubbock, Texas, Laredo, Texas. There's two there. I guess they like L's. Little Rock, Arkansas, and another California, Lancaster. So we've got a grouping of of cities here. Uh, Laura will tell me after the show. She'll email me and say how much she enjoyed hearing from all three of my guests, and she'll tell me where she picks. So I want to also say that uh, because it's Taurus, we're still on the side of Taurus. Leslie, you might, you may or may not agree with the characteristics of a Torian, not a Toriador, a Torian, they call them. <laughs> they enjoy, and Tony and, and Steve, by the way, Steve and Leslie are cousins, and I'll have you do your bios in a minute. I'm just using first names now. A Torians enjoy relaxing and serene bucolic environments surrounded by soft sounds, soothing aromas, 
succulent flavors. We'll get into flavor later. Taurus is ruled by Venus, and Taurus is the most sensual of the Zodiac. I hope I'm not embarrassing anybody. Taurians are steadfast, loyal, devoted friends and lovers, but they're stubborn and they stay in relationships, jobs, or houses way too long to prove a point. We have Cher as a Taurian, <laughs> Kelly Clarkson, Janet Jackson, Tina Fey, Jerry Seinfeld, oh my God, Barbara Streisand, George Clooney, Renee Zellweger, oh my goodness gracious, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Sam Smith, Idina Menzel, uh, all kinds of people. A.D. Bryant and Kenan Tom Thompson from Saturday Night Live are also Torian. So, Leslie, did we hit any of your characteristics? Well, I worked in the same company for 45 year, 43 years and the same profession for 45 years. Okay, so you're very loyal. We, don't, we aren't going to say whether you should or shouldn't have left before 45 <laughs> years. We, we, we won't go there because we're, we're streaming and people might be able to hear that, and we don't want that. I'm going to refresh ah. my screen. So let's move on here. I will tell you all that it is the 128th day of the year of the 2023 Gregorian calendar, and uh, Gregor, Gregorian calendar is from a Pope Gregor, and he <clears throat> created this many years ago because he didn't like the Julian calendar. He just decided. I don't like where leap year falls. I think I'll change it, align it with the moon. And he got away with it. So he's, I think, one of the early creatives, if you don't mind my saying that. <laughs> 237 days are left in the year. This is the 19th Monday, and nobody cares about that except me. Steve, <laughs> I'm guessing that you're going to go find an old uh, whiskey still out in the backyard, and you're going to make <laughs> something interesting for New Year's Eve. When we get to December, you better start soon. It takes a while. Tony, you look to me like the type was going to be brewing some really good Kahlua in a sink in the garage somewhere. Those flavors, you just, it's going to take a couple months. Start soon. And Leslie, I'm guessing you're going to go to a really good wine and liquor website online and order something really high-end and fancy in the form of champagne. (laughs) But the shelves are going to be cleared out soon. So you've all been put on notice. Start planning for next New Year's Eve already. Okay, Okay. I've warned you. So now (laughs) let me tell everybody who my guests are now that I've been playing with them. Leslie M. Grigg. R-I-G-G, Leslie Wave, hello. He is the co-founder. You're going to all do your bios in a minute. Co-founder of the Grig. Here we go. I said flavor, flavorful, Tater Tots Legacy Foundation. <gasps> but where was he for 45 years? He was a stockbroker for E.F. Hutton. We all remember that ad when E.F. Hutton spe- speaks. Originally, when E.F. Hutton speaks, <gasps> everybody stops and listens. <laughs> Until CBS Monday morning called him and said, hey, Leslie, let's talk about the history of Tater Tots. And his life changed. And you'll tell us all about that in a minute. Leslie, I'm so happy to meet you. Thank you for joining us today. And then we have Tony Gittles. Tony, wave hello. Hi. Tony, that lipstick is just you really <laughs> rocking it, lady. She's the CEO of Caregiver Empowerment Heartlight Enterprises LLC. Tony is a happiness trainer. I like that. I I could use your services once in a while, although I usually I'm smiling. She's a caregiver conference coordinator and a speaker on dementia friendly cruises. And there is a market for that and there is a need for that. Tony you're doing very good for people, and I'm proud to know you. And then we thank have you, Steve. Rick. Thank you. And we have Steve Grigg. Steve, way hello. Cousin to Leslie. We got the Grigg guys. I'm so thrilled. He is the other co-founder of the Grigg Tater Tots Legacy Foundation. He has a BFA, Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Graphic Design, and Steve was the design lead and creator of the Intel Inside logo. Who alive today over a certain age doesn't remember that <laughs> logo? Steve, welcome. So I'm calling in honor of the Greg 
I'm going to call you the twins, the brothers, the cousins. I'm calling this episode, I name it something different every week. I'm calling this episode The Taste of Creativity in honor of Tater Tots. Okay, there you go. So let's go around the table and get some real bios from my guests. <coughs> Leslie M. What's the M stand for? Do we get a Michael? Michael, Leslie Michael. I like that. Sounds like a recording artist's name. You ever you ever do any singing? Leslie? No. Oh, okay. Was a singer. <laughs> that was an ad. I try not to sing on the show too. So we'll we'll just try to mind ourselves. Okay. So Leslie, I'm putting you on speaker view. Take your three minutes. I'm, I'm not going to throw you off if you go to three and a half. I promise. <laughs> and please do me the honor of giving us the full bio and officially welcome to Read My Lips, Leslie. Thank you. <clears throat> Well, I was born in Idaho and spent my lifetime in Idaho. Uh, when I was about six years old, seven years old, actually fourth, third grade, Oreida Foods Corporation was building a plant in Burley, Idaho. And my dad was hired to do the cost accounting and then became the office manager of that plant once the plant was built and opened. And I had my first job, first real job, uh, at the, in the fourth grade with my mother, we would drive out to the Orida plant every day after school. We would take care of make sure the vending machines were full and working. <laughs> That's an important job, right, Leslie? <laughs> yes. Responsibility, being prompt, being, <laughs> yes, being mindful, being vigilant, all kinds of things. So where'd you go from there? Finish. So from there, I went to college. I graduated with a degree in history and uh, attempted to try to get into the teaching profession, which didn't work out. And uh, I fell into my passion, which is uh, stock market. So EF Hutton was hiring in Provo, Utah, where I was going to school. And uh, I got hired there. I was with them for about a year and a half. And they did some changes in that company, which ultimately landed me with Merrill Lynch. So I spent the next 43 years with Merrill Lynch Bank of America and retired in July or excuse me, in April, because I wanted to take on my next big passion. And that is to try to reconnect the Grig name with the legacy iconic food, the tater top. Very, very interesting. How was life as, as a stockbroker back then? Was it as Oh, it was it was living the dream. I, I just feel so fortunate to have to be one of those people whose whose career became their passion. You are fortunate. And to me, broadcasting, which became my career about 11 years ago, that became my passion as well. And I will tell the three of you that my passion, the reason I get up in the morning is to talk to smart, interesting people. <laughs> Tag, you're it, okay? You're, you're, you're it for today. Thank you very much, Leslie. And we'll find out more about your foundation a little bit later. Tony Gittles, welcome. I met you also at the summit. Happy to have you here. You have a very serious job, Tony. But if you're a happiness trainer, I think your whole theme is about bringing Bringing happiness. That's just my guess. So, Tony, putting you on speaker view, please do me the honor of tell us more about who you are and welcome. Thank you. My name is Tony Giddles, and I was born in Chicago. I had two very loving parents. They did not go to college, so their dream for me was to go to college and be smart. They always called me the smart one in the family. Um, I did go to Northwestern University where I got an MA degree in audiology. So I spent um, a good first 10 years uh, in the field of audiology at Texas Children's Hospital, 
and uh, St. Luke's Episcopal and the Heart Institute. And it was quite an exciting environment back in the 70s because the first heart transplants were going on there. So it was a very stimulating environment. And I also counseled parents. I had to identify children that had hearing loss and work with the parents and help them with resources. Um, I stayed in the field of audiology and worked with my dad, actually, who had a hearing aid manufacturing facility. And he knew that I loved to do presentations and educate people. So my job became going around to the conventions in the United States and talking about hearing aids and hearing health care and communication skills and business skills. Um, when he passed away, I, I moved on. We eventually sold our hearing and manufacturing company. But I always found a role where I was educating people. I love that. And in, uh, boy, in 2003, my mom called me and she wondered if I would come home to help her with uh, go to the doctor and get a solution to her problem. I flew home from California. She was in Orlando. And I realized, went to the doctor with her and the doctor told her there was nothing he could do because she was old and there was nothing he could do. And I asked for a referral to a gerontologist or someone else who could you know, give us some advice. And he did not have any referrals for us. So we left and I realized it was time to move home. Actually, mom was 86 at the time. And, you know, that's an aha moment. She was old. The doctor was right. And I needed to be there for her. I'm an only child. And with my healthcare background, we just, I moved home and we started planning just in case there was a healthcare crisis. You know, you don't know how long people are going to live. You don't know in, in the moment life can change. There can be a health crisis. And that's what happened. Um, we, she went to the hospital. I was told she might live, she might not, and to be prepared for that. So I became a caregiver. She did live. In fact, she lived 11 more years and almost to a hundred. And I really found like, I, I really saw that I found my calling, which was all my background really prepared me to be a caregiver, but I didn't know how to be a caregiver. <laughs> I knew a lot about hospitals and doctors, um, but eventually, um, after mom died, I started working with family caregivers because I felt like we're, we're lost. We don't, we're not trained. We're not prepared. And it's a critical time in our life to connect with people in our life, our loved ones. Um, and then I, re I wrote a book. I'm working on a book now that'll be out in September, 21 Mistakes Caregivers Make and How to Avoid Them. Because we make mistakes because we're not trained, but we can self-correct and we can get the information we need. And yeah, be happy. <laughs> we can be happy. We can celebrate life no matter what the circumstances are. Thank you, Tony. I like the happiness part. And <laughs> interesting, your title of your book, It I've heard it said many times that we don't learn from the things we do right. We learn mm -hmm. from our mistakes. That's where the real learning moment is because that opportunity to self-correct, have somebody correct for us, but it's, it's oh, that wasn't right. What can I do differently? What can I do better? What else can I do? What can I not do? Rather right. than, oh, I did goody, goody. I won an award. Isn't that great? And you, you don't pay attention <laughs> to the details around that. So very apt. Um, very, very apt. Thank you very much, Tony. And I will tell you that my mom passed in her own bed without an aid at 100 years, one month and 15 days. Uh -huh. And at 98, she said, what? You're going to hire an aide? They're going to watch me put I shouldn't talk like this. I'm going <laughs> to put on my makeup, get my hair done, have my nails done once a week. I'm going to play Mahjong Bridge. I'm going to play 
play the piano to the shalom. She lived in a high-rise building. It wasn't a senior at all, senior yeah. building. She hated when she saw people with walkers going to the restaurant on the arcade level. They're letting old people move in here. <laughs> we hosted TV together until a month before she passed away. We did 21 years of, of TV shows on Long Island together. But I have a great respect. My mom didn't want a caregiver. She just, she managed and she did well. And we did everything we could to make sure she was safe. And she was quite, quite an interesting soul, Tony. You would have really, really enjoyed Ruth. She was, and your mother sounds like a very interesting yeah. lady too. So it sounded um, like you created a lot of memories and that's oh, what I hope for people as well. Not to focus on the disease, but focus on the person. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you, Steve, Greg, you've been so patient. Well, you don't have a choice. I put you third. You're the <laughs> other other leg of the cousin stool here, the tater tot cousins. Right. Steve, <laughs> would you please give us the full lowdown? Who is Steve, Greg, and welcome officially to Read My Lips. Thank you. Can you read my lips? Listen, <laughs> this, is a, 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 this is a very, uh, this is a great honor to be on here and talk about tater tots. My father, Nephi Grigg, and his brother, Golden Grigg, founded Orrita Foods back in, uh, well, it's a, that's a kind of a long story, but they founded Orrita Foods, and uh, after a couple of years, they invented the, the tater tot. And so um, having, I was, I was born in Ontario, Oregon, and that is the birthplace of the tater tot, and uh, that, in fact, that is the only Orrita facility uh, functioning that makes tater tots. So all the tater tots, all 70 billion that we eat a year, all come from Ontario. And so, and, and it's, it, it was just a sleepy little farming community right on the uh, Oregon-Idaho border, right on the Snake River. And, and, you know, hence the name, Orida. Where is it? Right there. Mm, I see it. <laughs> and um, so, uh, you know, I didn't, uh, I, I, I wasn't a farmer. My dad when I was uh, younger, my dad was not a farmer. He had founded Orida by then, so he he was a businessman. But I remember earlier, early on, uh, he was always very, very kind to the workers at the plant. So he was the president of the of Orida Foods, and um, on one occasion, I visited him, uh, and we went out, and he wanted to make his rounds. He went out and checked the lines, and we. Went to a uh, went to the French fry line. They made French fries before they made tater tots, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we go out to the French fry line. And he kept a salt shaker in a suit coat pocket, and we went out. And he would grab uh, as the fries came off the they would they would cook them once, and as they were cooling, he would reach up and grab a big handful of hot French fries. And so he had big farmer's hands, and he grabbed those. He would salt those, and we would eat those. And man, I've never, Ooh. never since tasted anything like it. But uh, so uh, when uh, when I was about fifteen, we were um, we had the opportunity to go to Scotland, where I went to high school and was introduced to, you know, art, and uh, decided that graphic design was going to be my future. And so I came back when we came back to the states. Uh, I actually I went to Brigham Young University, got my uh, uh, BFA in graphic design, and spent the next, you know, 40 years in advertising locally. And the agency I worked for was awarded the contract for 
uh, advertising for Intel Corporation. Mm -hmm. And uh, we designed, the agency was responsible for designing the Intel Inside logo. And it it fell to me, the lot fell to me to actually uh, do it. They had gone through several rounds with the client, with the eight, with the client, and uh, nothing was working, nothing was working. And finally, um, they were very specific with what they wanted. And so we did what they wanted. And so on that original Intel Inside logo, that's my handwriting. <laughs> really? We've is. got some history here, don't we, with the three of you? Very interesting. So what did you do from there? Well, from there, I just, I just stayed local, uh, continued to work on many aspects of the Intel account. And then um, eventually grew old. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I decided to uh, retire from the, the rat race and, um, you know, tater tots having and Orida having been a long a sold to Heinz, uh, Orida sold to H.J. Heinz in 1965. I mean, I was only 11. And so I wasn't going to have a future in Orida. So I made my future in uh, advertising and graphic design, and so now I'm I'm a I'm a freelance uh, I'm a consultant for graphic design and advertising. Good place to be, and you and just briefly, I want to go to the the opening quotes only, but just briefly, one of the two cousins, please tell me about the Grig Tater Tots Legacy Foundation, which I know is very important to both of you. Who wants to just give us a, a two minute overview? Go ahead, Leslie, please. Well, in 2018, I got a communication from CBS Sunday Morning Magazine, and they wanted to do a history of the tater tot, but they needed our help in doing and giving them the history because they didn't apparently didn't know where to go. So we provided that. Steve helped, uh, his sister and several of us all helped together to get that information to CBS, and then they produced that program. It aired on CBS Sunday Morning on November 18th, 2018. Okay. In praise of tater tots. <laughs> very, very nice. And so who decided to form the Legacy Foundation? So, so Steve and I kind of got uh, talking about this issue. And uh, we spent the next couple of years trying to figure out uh, what is going to happen to our legacy. One of the key parts of this story is a piece of uh, 11 by 18 inch wood, three quarter inch plywood with about 25 one inch holes drilled in it. <laughs> and that is the holy board. The holy board <laughs> with an E, H O L E Y. H O L E Y. One would think it became the H O L Y board because it sat on the wall in Oregon for the last next 70 years. Oh my. And uh, Steve and I decided we needed to figure out how to get this board, this iconic piece of uh, Americana, <laughs> into the public. And uh, that then in January of 20, 2022, uh, there was a change of ownership or change of control of that board between Kraft Heinz and J.R. Simplot Corporation and Idaho Corporation. And uh, long story short is that we're now working with J.R. Simplot and we are working with Kraft Heinz sort of in a, a joint venture to um, figure out what's the destination of the of the history of the tater tot and how can we as people who have that legacy how we how can we reconnect our name into the story mm -hmm. 
rather than having it just get shuffled into into obscurity. Sure. Well, you're doing a little bit of it here today, even though we're not advertising anything. <laughs> okay, let's oh, you move want on. A bet? Thank you. Thank, thank you. I'm looking at the logo. Thank you both. By the way, where is uh, Ontario, Oregon in relation to Eugene? I lived in Eugene for several years. Is it close? Yeah, I remember that. Ontario is probably a little uh, south and as far east as you can get in Oregon. Okay. All right. I was in Eugene in the early 70s, just around the time when the the uh, mills were closing and people were giving up their houses and people will people there said it's too crowded. Tony, you had to wait two lights to get through downtown with five traffic <laughs> lights. And people said there was too much traffic and they were moving back to the small towns where they came from. But the mills were closing. I had to give my my beautiful. It was a I don't know if it was a condo. It was a, a duplex apartment with great big vaulted ceilings and a big fireplace and upstairs downstairs. It was beautiful. I had to give it back to the bank on what's called an estoppel deed. I couldn't sell it. The, the market completely went to zero, the real estate market in Oregon at that time. And I had to simply walk away, give it broom sweep, broom swept clean with a key and give it back to the bank. And I was forgiven for the balance of the mortgage. That's what was happening with the real estate market in Oregon back in that time frame. Then I moved back to New York and the rest is all kinds of history. We won't go into that. But anyway, very, very interesting. Thank you all. Good bios. I'm excited to talk to you. Now, let's go to the part of the show I've asked each of you to, please. Oh, my goodness. I'm looking at one of the keywords in Leslie's quote. I can't believe this coming from Orida. Uh, a, a quote from a fictional character in a movie or TV show or a song lyric, and uh, they're going to relate it to their own creativity. Let's keep this to about two minutes apiece because we have a lot, lot to cover. The bios went long, and I really enjoyed them. Leslie <laughs> said to quote from Wesley, a.k.a. The Man in Black, played by Carrie. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Elwes? Elwes? E-L-W-E-S? Elwes? Does anybody Elwes? know? Elwes? I think that's Elwes. Uh, talking to Princess Buttercup, played by Robin Wright, the Princess Bride, of course, 1987 American fantasy adventure comedy film. Uh, Tony, when you and I and the rest of them were growing up, it was either a drama or a comedy. Right now we have we have fantasy, adventure, comedy, and drama, romance. They just take all the genres. They just mash them together. Uh, Wesley saves the princess after the battle of wits with the evil Vizzini, the Sicilian played by Wallace Shawn, who I, I just adore him as an actor. So here is the interesting thing, uh, something to do with Iocane, I-O-C-A-N-E powder. It's odorless, tasteless, among the most deadly poisons from Australia. So Wesley says they were both poisoned. I spent the last few years building up an immunity to Iocane powder. Now, coming from a guy whose family sells food, I can't believe you. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry, Leslie, don't be mad at me. I just realized, what? All right, I'm going to put you on speaker view. Why in the world did you pick this quote? What does it have to do with your creativity? Two minutes, go. <laughs> well, it's, uh, Princess Bride is one of my all-time favorite movies, and there's just so many so many wonderful phrases and quotes in that whole movie. But, you know, I, I think it has to do with um, figuring out how to get out of the box, how to think out of the box. And one of the things that it's done for my profession is help me to think out of the box. Uh, long, long into my career, I was, was frustrated with being the average guy. And I thought, how can I become Above, above average in terms of my profession. And uh, that, that really helped me to survive a very 
a very difficult profession through the years, I think. Uh, kept figuring out how to get better, how to improve, how to think out of the box. And um, I, anyway, that's just my nature now. I just am always thinking that way. Well, thank you very much. It's an interesting quote. Okay, we're going to move on from that before I get myself in trouble. Tony Gittles has <laughs> sent a quote from, oh, Robin Williams. One of his serious roles, the movie was Dead Poets Society, 1989. They just call it a drama. We'll go with that. I think it's a coming-of-age drama, but I added that. Uh, he's played an English teacher, John Keating, at a fictional elite all-male conservative boarding school called Welton Academy, and he inspired his students by teaching poetry, but his teaching methods were were unorthodox. And the famous line is starts out with the Latin phrase, carpe diem, seize the day, boys, make your lives extraordinary. Tony, how does this relate to your creativity, please? Uh, growing up, I really saw myself as an average person um, and not necessarily creative. But as I, um, as I went to um, college, I realized you have to you have to reach higher. You have to find out who you are and be exceptional at it. And eventually when I went to college and graduate school, it was like, you know, now is the time to be extraordinary, um, to create things, to get smarter. If it took studying more, then let's do that. And my first job, you know, was so important that I did it well, but that I also exceeded expectations. And it was like every day now, um, I feel like we can create an extraordinary life. It's up to us. And there's so many opportunities that we have with interacting with other people, with virtual programs. I used to be quiet. I sat in the background. Um, but that's over. <laughs> that's over because that's not how you influence people. That's not how you uh, change their lives for the better. And so I, I seize the day. It's, it's very important. Um, I work a lot with people that have dementia that are caring for their loved ones with dementia. And it's like they have to seize the moment as well, because moment to moment, things can change in the relationship and that person can behave differently. But we really want to pay attention to the moments that, we, that make memories and that we're actively involved in creating our lives with other people. That was beautiful, Tony. Really, oh, really, really, so. really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I liken our lives, I, I don't know if anybody else does, to a, a quilt. And every chapter of our life, or a little piece of a chapter, is a square. And it's unique. Leslie's is different from Steve's, is different from Tony's, is different from mine. And those are the moments that make up the squares on the quilt that are our lives. Mm -hmm. Thinking of Carol King's song, Tapestry. Mm -hmm. My life is just a tapestry. And a, yes, anyway, I promised I wouldn't sing, Leslie. I, I broke it already. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's go to Steve before we get too mushy here. Steve has picked a quote from Major, later Lieutenant Colonel Franklin Delano Marion Frank Burns, played by Lawrence Larry Linville, MASH, the TV sitcom, Long, La Long Living, 1972 to 1983. MASH was the acronym for Mobile Army Surgical Hospital, American war comedy drama series on CBS TV, as I said, from 72 to 83, developed by Larry Galbart. First original spinoff adapted from the 1970 film MASH, based on a novel by Richard Hooker. 
It was called MASH, a novel about three army doctors. Very interesting. By the way, in the series, Frank Burns is high strung. He often says, Tony, you'll appreciate this bizarre and redundant cliches and malapropisms. Uh, In the interview, which was season four, episode 24, he describes marriage as the headstone of American society. (laughs) He believed in military discipline and thought he was a great surgeon, but they had to give another surgeon to co-operate with him because he was going to kill people. He was that bad. So here is the line from Major Frank Burns that Steve has picked. Steve, the line is, it's nice to be nice to the nice Well, I haven't heard that one in a long time. Steve, Greg, what does this have to do with your intelligent creativity, your curiosity? Talk to me. Well, my wife and I, uh, in our early uh, married years, uh, were total math, uh, math, total mash aficionados. You know, we we never missed it. There was no, there were no DVRs. And so we had to watch it. (laughs) And when I heard that quote, I thought, you know, uh, it made me think of my father, the fact that he could, in fact, go out to the production line, the French fry production line, and name people by name. And so he did not rule with any kind of an iron fist. It wasn't a huge corporation, luckily, but he was able to befriend those that worked for him and got just as good a production and output from his employees as if he ruled, you know, from a big from a big office. And I and I get I guess I've kind of adopted I would like to think I've adopted his mannerisms and being nice to those that I work with. And, um, you know, sometimes I serve them, sometimes they serve me, but there's no reason to be belligerent or haughty or or anything like that. No reason to be not nice, right? That's right. (laughs) There you go. Yes, I think we've all worked in places where people in power felt that the only way they could rule or be in control was to be very not nice. I think we've all worked in places like this. So it's always a pleasant surprise when you can be nice to people and get things done and achieve the common goals and if people feel good about working there. Isn't that true, Steve? That is so true. What an anomaly. I'm glad you knew about that. So thank you all for the quotes. I appreciate it. Now, I didn't tell you what's going to happen next, and you're going to find out on live streaming radio. Here we go. You've each sent me four statements on what creativity means to you, how it impacts your life, uh, your career, your hobbies, whatever, your your life in general, your lifestyle. And I'm going to pick one from each of you. You do not have to go looking for your notes. I will read it in full out loud and ask you to just take about two minutes and we have time left and take about two minutes and tell me what you mean. Unpack it as they say on the news. So Leslie, Michael, I could call you that now. (laughs) Leslie, Michael, great. But I forgot to tell you, my show is more of a party than a radio, you know, the usual, we just have a good time and we fun party. I'm glad you, I hope that was good. Anyway, I'm picking statement number three for you, Leslie. I like this one a lot. I haven't heard anybody say this and you, you know, I do three or four guests every week, 50 weeks a year or 48 weeks. I hear a lot of creativity statements, but this was different. You say, I believe in the power of journaling to foster creativity. I've used journaling to overcome the quote unquote air quotes walls of life's journey. That's very interesting. Leslie, could you unpack that? Steve likes that too. I think I saw him nodding. Yeah, (laughs) Tony, definitely. Okay, Leslie, talk to us, please. What does it mean? Uh, I'll start with a quote that I got from Google. Journaling is a mental, is, is 
is credited with being one of the best tools for overcoming mental problems. And that's uh, that's a quote from from Google. Um, back in nineteen and twenty sixteen, I was reaching one of my walls, and my daughter and my wife convinced me to, against my will, to go to a three day um, seminar on uh, relationships and so forth in Salt Lake City. And uh, the the presenter was a gentleman by the name of Kirk Duncan, and he talked to us about uh, journaling and how it changed his life. And I've always liked to journal, but I never thought of journaling as a tool for what it's become in my life. And that experience with Kirk Duncan helped me to realize that that journaling is a tool. And so I, I started working from a different perspective. I started looking at journaling much more as a as a way to gain uh, introspection, to gain purpose, and uh, now I spend about an hour to two hours every Saturday morning in my quiet time communicating with my higher power and trying to decide which direction my life is going to take with my journaling process. I am fascinated by that. Leslie, I have a couple of questions, if I may. Do you, when you journal, is it writing in ink or in pencil in a physical hard copy yes. book? Yes. Okay. Have you ever journaled uh, digitally where you're typing no. it in? No. Okay. So I think that the importance of journaling is to pick up that pen and actually move pick it across the paper. Pick up the, the pen paper. and write. And, you know, one of the interesting things I, I experienced way back in my career as a financial advisor is that... Uh, Early in the year, I learned what they call technical market analysis, and it took me after they introduced uh, technical analysis to to digitizing it, it took me almost five to six years to transition from the manual process to the computer process because there's just a a different dynamic, and I think that's true in writing as well as it is in uh, in that particular, but I think, I think writers understand that concept. I will tell you that when I, I got a bachelor's degree in psychology with all good intentions, and then I got married and had kids, and I decided after I divorced, I needed, that's when I was in Eugene, I needed to do something to support my kids. I had never worked a day in my life. Tony, you're going to love this. So at around 26 or 27, I got my first job. But I took two years. They applied my bachelor's credits. I went to a community college. That was my graduate school. And they applied my credits. And I took one of the classes. I took, I was a major in computer programming and operations. I got twin AS associate of science degrees in 4.0. But I took a, uh, it was a business statistics class. And the men in the class, I'm talking to Leslie and Steve right now, the boys, men in the class, we were all in our 20s. These were not little kids. They were really mad at me because I worked everything out. I did all of the calculations on paper with a pencil, and they were all using slide rules. <laughs> and I got a 4.0 in the whole class. I aced every exam. I aced every homework assignment, every 
everything the teacher threw. I loved math. I, I was very strong in math in high school, junior high school. I was on the math team and I loved numbers, but I used a pencil. And I was once accused <laughs> on an essay test. Uh, I, I don't know where, what school I was in, but uh, an essay test. Somebody said, of course she got it right. She wrote so much down in her answer with that damn pencil of hers. Eventually in there somewhere, the teacher was going to find the right answer. So <laughs> I was accused of, I haven't remembered that in years. I was accused of over-answering. Thank you very much, Leslie. That was very interesting. Very, very interesting. Thank you. It was very different. I try to find a, a different approach to creativity each week. Uh, Tony, I'm looking at your list, and I'm going to go to statement number one. It's long, and I will read it. You say, creativity <laughs> is to see challenges and roadblocks in our life as opportunities to grow and lessons to learn as our strength to find solutions is revealed from a place we didn't know existed before. I'm going to stop there. Tony, could you unpack that for me, please, and get specific? Yeah, thanks, Ed. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people react to situations. They use a lot of energy, getting upset in their response, and it could be in relationships, too. They could get angry and that kind of thing. Um, my view on the world is to be quiet and calm and settle down and look at what's happening in front of me and then figure out what is the lesson here because there are lessons in life. What is it I'm supposed to learn? And then how do I find the solution and move forward? And during caregiving, this happens a lot. There's a lot of crises that you encounter with the other individual. And one of the things I was able to do was you know, I really immersed myself in taking care of my mother. Um, she was the most important person in my life. My dad had passed away a long time ago. Um, so there were challenges there. And I didn't know if I could step up and meet the challenges. But by not reacting to a situation, a crisis, a, or another trip to the emergency room, um, first of all, it, it helped me, um, I think, health-wise, you know, if if you overreact and get excited all the time, um, that's not the place where, first of all, happiness can happen um, and our circumstances change and they're not always pleasant to, to be involved in. Um, one time in the emergency room, my mom had a facial paralysis and she had been there so many times. She asked me, am I going to die from this? Am I going to die today or in the next few days? And I, I knew what the, the situation was from my background in healthcare. And I said, no, you're not gonna die today. I said, but you know what? If you were, what's a story you'd like everybody to know about your life? I always carry a notebook. I'm a writer, <laughs> I love communication. And I wanted to redirect her concern into something pleasant. And you know what, Red? She told me the story of how she met her Prince Charming, which was my dad. I wrote it all down and she told it over and over to many people who came into her room and at the Toastmaster Club. So I take a situation and I see what can I create out of this situation. That's lovely. You just brought back a memory for me, if I may. Steve, I'll get to your statement in a second. Uh, when, when Ruth went into cardiac arrest and basically died in my arms one night, she called me and said, I can't get my pillows fluffed. And I drove the five minutes from my house to hers. Um, I shouldn't have been able to go there. There was a snowstorm the day before, and I drive a sports car, and it typically likes to go in a 360 fishtail on the road if there's even an, an eighth of an inch of ice, but the roads were clear, which was very unusual. And mm -hmm. I got there, and she was coughing 
a cough that was shaking the building and she was on the 19th floor. And I said, I'm calling an ambulance. She said, no, 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 help me with my pillow. So I helped her fluff her pillow. She wasn't happy with that. She coughed a little more. I said, mom, you're scaring me. She said, give me more Robitussin. I said, this is not a Robitussin cough. So I finally fluffed the pillow one more time and she lay back and she said, I can't breathe. And I lifted her in my arms and she took her last breath with her eyes open in my arms. And I realized what had happened. Bottom line, we got the ambulance to come. Stat, 100-year-old woman, everybody running. I think there were 18 men who went in size from 160 to about 300 pounds. The testosterone and sweat in the room was, un- you couldn't breathe. And they got permission to give her certain medications to at least get her heart started on a ventilator. Took her uh-huh. to the hospital, put her in an elegant medical ICU unit that was a suite. And they gave me a, a couch to sleep on. And the nurses bathed her and they changed her gown and they talked to her. And they sent me an interdenominational gentleman of color in a beautiful suit and an orange tie. And he introduced himself. Anyway, the point was the next morning, she lasted till the next morning. This was late at night. The interns and residents, this is North Shore Hospital in Long Island in Great Neck, Lake Success. They came to me and they said, who is your mother? Who is this woman who's 100 years? one month and 15 days, tell us her story. And they uh. gathered around me. I put me on a chair outside of her room, which had sliding doors so we could see her. And they said, tell us your mother's story. Tony, I gave them the overview of Ruth's 100 years right there in the medical suite. Yeah, that's and beautiful. I had, had to let her go a couple hours later. We did every test known and it was time. But the, the the minister said to me, I said, I'm not Christian, I'm Jewish. He said, I'm I'm for all denominations. He said, you're keeping her alive for you. You have to let her go for her. So I made phone calls. Everybody said goodbye on the cell phone, and we did it. But anyway, Tony, you just reminded me of that. I'm sorry. Oh, this is the real deal, kids. This is the way it goes. Steve, you're going to rescue me. Steve, my friend, here we go. I'm looking at your quote. Steve, because you're the man of very few words in your statements. They're one line each. It's okay. I'm going to do two two statements for you. Statement number one, you say, I prefer the word original over creative with quotes. And statement number three, you say, I try and adhere to the philosophy of German architect Mies van der Rohe, less is more. So let's talk about original for one minute and less is more for another minute and a half. Steve, <laughs> Leslie's waiting for me to put the, the timer on to clock you. I know he is. Steve, go he ahead. Just, it's all yours. He just likes hearing his name. Um, <laughs> Leslie, 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 Leslie. Go Les. ahead, Steve. <laughs> um, less is more. Got it. Oh, went right past me. Go ahead. All right. Sorry. Uh, the first one <clears throat> Uh, I, I am kind of a man of very few words. I sort of, uh, you know, I've never talked much in my uh, schooling. Um, uh, I, I've always let, in my schooling, I always let my artwork speak for me. You know, you didn't have to do a lot of presenting. And, and that's remained true throughout my life. Um, uh, creative. I think is a an upper tier word, but I think other words like, you know, um, uh, original, uh, uh, original, new, uh, new, um, Fresh. revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, they all fall under creativity. So I think creativity. Um, I don't want to disrespect your show, but perhaps creativity 
um, is used uh, more often for words that could be more specific. Okay. You, know, you could be a, you could be original. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you take my <laughs> this cuckoo logo that my dad my dad actually drew that and it, it was original it's absolutely original yeah something that's original has never been seen before in that capacity and so mm-hmm. it is creative but it is original it is thought and it's memorable so there i think there are a lot of words that that i have challenged myself to use uh, in addition to you know being creative, mm-hmm. because I think most people are creative in their own right. I think they everyone in their own discipline and their own comfort zone can be original and thought provoking and and genuine and out of the box, as Les has said. Um, and so, I think all those words come into play, and we, we do ourselves an injustice just saying creative. I will tell you that I've met, and that's okay. I've met a lot of people who say they're not creative, and they are artists, and they are people who've created clubs and organizations for people in my new community where I just moved six months ago. And they say I'm not a creative at all. They will deny to almost to the death that they did something unique and original and fresh and new and innovative. And they just don't want to be. They don't want to take responsibility for it. They don't want to talk about it. Basically, I'll do it, but I don't want to talk about it. So putting a label on is very interesting. But Steve, I use the word creative because a lot of people say, well, I'm not a dancer. I'm not a singer. I'm not an artist. I don't draw logos like Steve and his father did or like Steve. Yeah, I don't do that. My handwriting isn't on the Intel inside. My dad didn't (laughs) take a map and make Arida. So um, to me, I tell people when when they're going to come on the show, not at the publicity summit, but here in my community, I'm doing a video cast, a, a version of Read My Lips. And I tell people, to me, a creative is, it's how you answer the phone. It's how you dress. It's how did Tony pick that lipstick and put those flowers <laughs> next to her. It's me. I painted this painting behind me, and the artist at Voice America put the, put the lips on it. But those are real earrings that lost their match, Tony, and they're punched through the canvas, and the little backs are on them. That's my creativity, <laughs> is this was one of my early watercolors these are buildings in a city and you can see the people in the buildings and the boxes and and everything uh we're almost out of time steve quickly give me the less is more i want to do that well it's pretty self-explanatory but i wasn't exposed to it until i got to college the uh the uh, original founders of the bauhaus um college the bauhaus school of it was a, a a way of thinking and they invented their own alphabet that became very popular uh, in the late 60s, and they broke all the rules. And and if you look at some of the, um, if you look up um, that, you know, what's his name? He's Vanderell. Mm-hmm. If you look him up and you look at some of the uh, buildings he designed, they're very, very, nowadays, they would be very, very popular because they were minimalist and they, and they said, said so much without, you know, without being pretentious. And so I kind of, I kind of like that. If I decide to change the name of the show from Read My Lips, Cool Conversations with Originals, I'll let you know, Steve. I'll give you a footnote on that, okay? We have to do some famous birthdays real fast. Melissa Gilbert, everybody remember? Little House on the Prairie. She won some Young Artist Awards as Laura Ingalls. She's 59 today. And by the way, she had a relationship with Rob Lowe off and on for years. She's been married three times. Talk about creativity. Bo Brinkman, 1988 to 92. Bruce Boxleiter. Leitner, 1995 to 2011. And she married Timothy Busfeld in... 
Busfield in 2013. Enrique Iglesias, Latin pop artist. We know whose son he is. He's only sold 180 million records in English and Spanish. Oh, my goodness. He set the record for the most number one hits on the Billboard Latin Hot Latin Songs list. He's 48 today. Happy birthday. Uh, and let's see what else here. We have Ricky Nelson passed away in 1985, but from the Nelson family, Ozzy and Harriet, and he was a pop singer. All Hello, Mary Lou. I said I wouldn't sing. <laughs> Leslie, you got to stop me. He he was born in 1940. And Don Rickles, very caustic comedian. Talk about creative and original and smacking you in the face with his words. That was Don Rickles passed away in 2017. I have three social media stars whose birthdays are today, and you've never heard of them, but there's a reason we're saying hello. Cameron Cordova is 20 today. She's a TikTok uh, person and she's a TikTok star. She has lip sync videos, comedy and dance videos, and she only has 3.9 million fans. Oh. Tony, I know. What can I tell you? <laughs> we have a YouTube star named Marcel Cunningham. He is a gaming sensation. He's 33. He plays Fortnite, Among Us, and Minecraft, and he only has 4.9 million plus subscribers. And another YouTube person is Trisha Paytas, P A Y T A S. Actor and model uses the they rather than he or she. Their YouTube channel, pre-fame, they were a dancer and a lingerie model, and they were billed as the world's fastest talker, 710 <laughs> words in under one minute. So they have, Trisha has 5 million plus fans. Today in music history, I've got really go through this. Beatles, uh, the number one hit, From Me to You, From Me to You. Uh, nowhere in America, but the Beatles were just a whisper in the U.S., so it was a U.K. hit. Uh, the Rolling Stones, first American tourist, 1965. They stopped in Jacksonville, Florida, and there was a 17-year-old kid named Ronnie Van Zant, And he said, well, I'm just going to go out and be a singer in a rock and roll band. Guess what? He founded <laughs> Leonard Skinner. That was in the, he was in the audience. Uh, Carly Simon became the first guest, a musical guest on Saturday Night Live, who had stage fright and wouldn't sing live. So they played pre-recorded renditions of You're So Vain and another song. Uh, John Sebastian's Welcome Back Cotter TV theme hit number one in the United States. The original song, original show was called Just Cotter. And he said, the only song I, lyric I can rhyme it with is Otter. So they changed it to Welcome Back Cotter because that was what he did. That's all I can tell you. And Dean Martin was arrested for carrying a loaded pistol. And what can I tell you? Um, and uh, uh, let's see now. Ricky Nelson received a posthumous star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame this day in 1995. Today is Iris Day, Coconut Cream Pie Day, Dakota Day. Anybody know a person named Dakota? Say happy. Hello. Hello. Give someone a cupcake day. It's Maria Day. Hello, Maria. Meet him, meeting Planners Day. Appreciation. No socks day. Take off your socks, Leslie. No, don't. Reward <laughs> yourself day. Donkey day and sign language week. Okay. And uh, let's see. Quickly give a website, each of you, please, where people can find you. Leslie, real fast. We're building a website, but my email is grignile at gmail. Okay. Thank you very much. Steve, same Steve. thing? Same thing, Steve Grigg Creative at gmail.com. You use the word creative in your email. <laughs> I, I caught you. I caught you. Got 30 seconds. Tony, <laughs> website, please. Yes, my caregiver consultant or heartofcaregiving.com. Thank you very much. And a shout out again to Andrew, my engineer. And let's see, I'm going to give my final closing words. Life, stick around, guests. We'll talk afterwards. Life is short. Break <laughs> the rules. Ha! Forgive quickly, kiss slowly. 
It's the only way. Trust me. Love mm-hmm. truly. Everybody laugh with me. Laugh uncontrollably. <laughs> <laughs> and never, I always think I should do that at the beginning of the show. And never regret anything that made you smile. Work like you don't need the money because nobody really cares. Dance like no one's watching. When I was dancing, teaching disco on top of a Formica table in a high school cafeteria in Eugene, Oregon in high heels, I didn't slip and fall, but everybody watched. Sing like nobody's listening. Leslie, don't listen. Love like you've never been hurt because we all have. Get over it. Money talks. Chocolate sings. La, dark chocolate, please. Last but not least, and I stole this line from somebody. Thank you for turning me on. Radio Red, everybody wave goodbye. <laughs> See you next week. Don't go away. And- Thanks again for tuning in to Read My Lips Radio presented by the Voice America Variety Channel. Tweet your questions and comments to at Radio Red 777. Join host, a.k.a. Radio Red, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We wish you a positively cool, creative week.